Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. I'm so blessed to be back with you here on this episode. I, I want to encourage you to like and share and comment on these episodes. We've reached over 1,400 downloads, so we're excited and encouraged about that. But I also uh, want to encourage you to share this with your friends, you know, Facebook message them or what have you, however you want to get the information out. And we appreciate you doing so. I want to get the Word of God out. We want people to learn the Word of God. And I believe when we learn a scripture and learn things, then the bread of life whenever it's opened it will give encouragement nourishment and freedom through christ as i was looking in our topic today i was kind of excited about this because i know that everybody has a little bit of rescuing in us you know we like to rescue people uh you know there's a lot done well for us or we feel well if we rescue people and i don't really want to just deal with the fact of you know, someone helping someone else out or showing mercy. But I want to go the next further step and talk about the idea of a rescuer, that that's what they do. They're always trying to find something to rescue because there can be some real issues in that. It can cause a lot of struggles through our lives, some roadblocks in our spiritual life. And I always like to turn to the scripture. So I turn to the scripture in First Samuel chapter 25, in First Samuel chapter 25, we find the story of Nabal, and we find the story of Abigail there. And, of course, we know David and his mighty men. And I encourage you to go and read that scripture yourself uh, and kind of get an idea and a feel for this whole story. But, you know, the basic bottom line of this story of Abigail is, is and I've heard this preached on a positive note, and I'm not against that because I do believe there was an act of faith done here. But I think as a whole, Abigail had a pattern of her life and she was in a relationship with her husband that was very dysfunctional. And I think so as a whole, this wasn't a great relationship that Abigail had with other people and she could have gotten herself in a lot of trouble and it ended up working out for her. I do believe that Abigail at the end probably learned the error of a lot of her ways she had to have uh, through life. And it's amazing how through time we learn things. But I think Abigail's a perfect picture of the dependent rescuer that she finds her own needs met through helping someone else. And Dr. Reiner, uh, he kind of lays this out in his book, the book that he has written on this is Transformation. And so if you want to read that, I encourage you to go and get that book on Amazon. It's called Transformation. Dr. Troy Reiner. He kind of breaks down the scripture, but there's been other books that have been written on this. He got some of his information from and uh, but I but I just want to talk to you about this idea, this dependent rescuing, that how this can be bad in our lives, you know, and how we have to really be careful of what we do. You know, God doesn't want us to rescue everyone. You know, I know that sounds harsh, but it's true. You know, we can't. We don't have enough resources to help rescue people. And the truth is, God's the rescuer. We're just his people. We're his vessels. We do the best we can to help who we can. But I've had to learn in my life to kind of pray about and seek the Lord on the people that I do help and I do rescue because I do have such limited resources. And sometimes we kind of try to help other people so we feel better about ourselves. And if that's the case, we're really getting our own need met. And that's kind of the case of Abigail. She kind of rescued people and had a habit of doing this, and she really kind of destructed and helped destruct, I believe, we can see in the Word of God, her own family. So this is kind of the person that's kind of given over to the flesh and falls into the trap. You know, we all have flesh, and we all have, you know, little traps that we can fall into. Some people fall into traps of pride. Some people fall into traps of uh, envy. Some people fall into traps of even depression and discouragement. But Abigail's trap was she was a rescuer, and she didn't 
really do things the right way. And one of the first things she did is the Bible said that David went out again in first Samuel chapter 25. You can read it that David asked Nabal for help. So when David's men went out to talk to Nabal, basically he said to them in verse 11 of first Samuel chapter 25, he said, shall I take my bread and my water and my flesh that I've killed for my shears and give it into the men whom I know now not, you know, that I don't even know them. Uh, where, you know, I don't even know where they're at or, or who they are. And then the Bible says that David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told them all these sayings to David. And David was like, all right, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go fight. We're going to, you're going to teach him a lesson through this. And so then, you know, it goes on and, and Abigail, uh, some of the young men, some of Nabal's men went to Abigail and said to him, and you know, all this up to this point, I can understand where Abigail wouldn't like this when she heard the news, but the young man came to Abigail and says to him, Hey, this is what your master's done. And this is the part where I begin to see, Hey, there's a red flag here. Something's going on because the young man went to Abigail and said, this man can't even be reckoned with, you know, and, and his basically he's like the son of Belial. So you can imagine that if you were married to someone, someone coming to your spouse and just flippantly saying, matter of fact, a servant of the person, not, you know, just one of the, one of the people that work for you come and say, Hey, he's a son of Bilal, which is the worst curse word that you could have called someone in that time. You know, it means wicked, worthless, without any value. That's what that word means. And so the man of Nabal's servant says that to his wife, and she doesn't even blink an eye. She doesn't rebuke him. She doesn't say anything. Matter of fact, then Abigail, she decides, you know what? There's nothing I can do besides the Bible says that then she made haste. And that's in verse 18. And that's that's another red flag. First of all, she lets one man say that her husband, which Nabal, he was a drunk. He was a lot of things. He wasn't a good man. The Bible even calls him an evil man. But you know, she was married to him. She was in this relationship with him and she should have respected him or at least demanded some type of respect. You know, he did have enough for King David to ask for. He did have some value. He did have some land. He did have some things that David knew and recognized him as being a blessed man. So he'd worked or got something somehow. So then Abigail says, okay, so she made haste and think about this. How many times in your life have you hurried to do something and it really worked out for you? Now, I know there's a few exceptions, but the truth is we see that in our Christian life that generally generally we'll pray, we'll seek God, we'll ask God. I mean, she was fixing to what her plan was. I'm going to take and I'm going to send a bunch of stuff out to him. I'm going to send a a bunch of food and raiment stuff out to him. And then when I do that, I'm going to talk to him and appeal for my husband. Now, that was a pretty good plan. But do you think she should have prayed first? I mean, this is a woman in those days. Women didn't have the same uh, they didn't have the same stature in society that they do here. They didn't have the same rights. I mean, she was really, really pushing her luck here, you know, asking to go out amongst a king that's already mad at her husband. And so she says she's going to go out with 400 mighty men and she's going to stand up and say, hey, 400 armed mighty men and say, hey, you know, will you reconsider this, David? But she doesn't even pray. She said, is the Bible says she made haste. Be careful, friends. Anytime you 
think something has to be done right now, right now, right now. Be careful now. We don't know. We know David's mighty men were coming. We don't know how fast, but they weren't on their horses running. She caught them before they had caught her. So they it wasn't that big of a hurry, but the Bible doesn't say she prayed. It doesn't say she sought the Lord. The Bible doesn't say she went to her husband. Don't you think it'd have been a good idea to go to him and say, hey, hon, do you think maybe that we should reconsider or could I do this? But she didn't. So she just went out on her own in the flesh in a haste and a hurry and ran down. And the Bible says that she took 200 loaves. And there's a lot of, of shadows and types in here, but 200 loaves that stands for divisions. Divisions of loaves, loaves stand for human effort. So she went out divided in her human effort with two bottles of wine, which is our worldly joy. We know what wine brings. It brings worldly joy. That was the problem with her husband. He was an alcoholic, but she brings wine. It doesn't say she took water. I mean, that's, that's really not a way she could have went, you know, with, with a sackcloth and ashes and praying and, and seeking the Lord, you know, she also brought five sheep, which stands for human weakness and parched corn, which stands for temporal earthly prosperity. And she brought clusters of raisins and clusters of raisins wasn't fruit of the vine, but it was dried up fruit, which stands for our human thoughts. So she came with 200 cakes of figs, which stands for a human attempts of righteousness. You know, the, our human attempts, there wasn't anything spiritual in what she was doing. And it was all carnal. Now, I've again, I've heard this preach that, hey, the, you know, this is an act of faith. And I'm not saying there was an act of faith here, but I just think when I look at it now from the outside looking in, there's just too many red flags of what she's done. Her haste, her lack of appealing to her husband, you know, in this relationship. And then she goes in all of her effort, all of her ways that she could think of to try to supply these men with some kind of appeasement or what they wanted, trying to meet their needs. And then she goes. And she tells David, yeah, I know he's a son of Belial. Now there's a big red flag. And she, again, she's calling him the worst worthless without any value person on the earth. And she's appealing to David this way saying, my, my husband is the son of Belial. Now we just have to be very, very careful. I pray to God that no matter how your husband or how your wife has done and messed you, I mean, really, no matter how drunk they've gotten, if you will, or no matter how much they've struggled or how many messes they've got you in financially, you don't go around spreading that word and calling this a worthless, valueless piece of garbage. That's what they were saying. That's what Abigail was saying. She had no faith in her husband. She, you know, she could have tried to build him up. She could have apologized for him. She didn't have to call him the worst curse word there is. And that, that, that's just a big red flag to me. You know, Abigail, one of her issues was, is that she was critical. She was a critical woman. She, she was so critical of her husband. Well, but she married him and she was in this. I think she could have done better to try to encourage him, you know, and then one of the last things that I was going to talk about in this is the reason why we know it was the wrong thing, that it wasn't done the right way is first, when she sent the people out, she sent all these, uh, this wine and and the loaves, and she sent out the sheep and the parched corn, the clusters of raisins, the figs, and she sent them out on the donkeys. And she said, you guys go ahead and take these and then I'll follow behind because I don't want my husband to know. So it was sneaky. It was like she was sneaking around, creeping around. How many things do you think you are that are really great acts of faith that you have to sneak around and lie about? So she's cursing. 
She's lying about what she's doing. And so she's going out, the odds against her with 400 men without her husband even knowing. You can call it great faith, but I call it ignorance. I mean, she's not praying to the Lord, asking God for guidance or direction at all. You don't see, it just said she made haste. So there's red flags all over this that says she's got an issue here, but she's trying to rescue her husband. And there's nothing wrong with trying to help your husband. But I don't know very many women that I would encourage them to rescue their husband by going out and taking a big risk and then calling him a dirty word. I don't think that's what I try to do. I think I could find out a godlier way to do things. I think I'd encourage a woman to build her husband up. I'd encourage her to seek the Lord and pray for him. I'd encourage her to really look at things in the spiritual sense and know that, hey, you're in this relationship and you need to try to make him better, not make him worse. And then when she went back to talk to Nabal, and we know that Nabal came from his father's name meant dog. And so he was a, he had a very low self-esteem, a very low self-worth. And you know, I've seen this personally. I've seen it in men and women, but I've seen it where the woman has to constantly correct the man. It's like the man starts to talk and the woman finishes his sentence. He can't even, I mean, if he talks normally, an Abigail type will be more strong-willed, type A personality woman. And I'm not against that. It's all relationships are different. You know, type, there's type A personalities in men and in women. And then there's passive and aggressive on each side. That's why we're attracted. So if I'm a passive, then I'm normally attracted to an aggressor. If I'm an aggressor, then I normally will be attracted to a passive. And that's the way it works. You know, we've always heard opposites attract. And so some, many times it takes both sides. But I've seen Abigail's that the man tries to talk because he talks a little slower. He's a little more passive. He thinks more about what he's trying to say. And he starts talking. I've been in council many times with him. And he starts talking. And the lady says, well, he's trying to say is his. And then finally, I got to look over at the woman and I got to say, "Can we need to let him finish what he's saying. He's, you know, because you I've watched the man a hundred times, more than a hundred, sit there and be shut down by what the woman says. They literally just shut off. They're like, why do I need to say anything? And then turn right around in the same hour. And then the woman say, why? Do, I don't know why he doesn't ever talk. And I'll look at that woman sometimes and say, well, honey, I think you really need to practice your attending skills, your listening skills. And I've done a podcast on attending. I'd encourage you to go listen to that if you have this tendency to be this type of personality, this type of codependency. But, you know, basically they shut the man down and they and they make him feel worthless, like he's not even smart enough, you know, that he's he is like Bilal, just worthless to where you got to even finish his sentences for him. Some people don't talk fast. Some people don't talk passionate, but they're more methodical in what they think. They think about the words they say. And I'll say this. I'm not necessarily that way, but I think that's a good trait to have especially in the relationship where one of you are talking motor mouth. I think it's okay for the other one to be more methodical. I think it balances that relationship out. But I've seen women that, you know, they constantly, they, these are the type, and not just women, but men, but we're talking about Abigail being the woman. Now, if we talk, talk on the other side, uh, we can talk about Solomon as being the independently worldly success, and he was the type of the man. But right now we're talking about Abigail. Now, she was controlling, and she would tried to run things, and she tried to do things. And many times in the relationship, if you're an Abigail type, you'll be trying to play the Holy Spirit on your spouse. And I always tell women this whenever I see this, I say, you know, hey, you're not the Holy Spirit in their life. You need to encourage him, build him up. I've had women say to me, well, he just doesn't stand up and lead our home. And I don't understand why he doesn't have to be the leader. I have to be the spiritual one. And I have to get up and pray and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I first say, you know what? You got too many eyes in that. 
the truth is, is they build themselves up and they want their husband to lead, but they never, you know, are able through the power of the Holy Spirit to literally bite their tongue if they have to and be able to refrain and let that man come out. And if they'll encourage that man in a different way and not a critical controlling way like that, and they'll, you know, what do we need to try to do? What we need to try to do is find the positive things and build the positive up, and we'll get more positive. We, we can approach the negative. We can talk about the negative. But the truth is we spend way more time talking about the negative than exhorting the positive. I've heard this. I'm not here for me. I'm here for him. You know, I'm just I'm just here for him. And I'm like, well, OK, yeah, red flag, red flag right now. Let me let me go ahead and to help you with something, listeners. Uh, if you've married someone, I always I tell people this in my office all the time. You're equal screwed upness. Now, I know that's funny, maybe to you, but I say you are equal screwed upness. Hey, tens don't marry ones very often when it comes to people being immature emotionally. When it comes, they don't, I'm talking about inwardly. I'm not talking about sometimes purdy, marry ugly and ugly, marry purdy, whatever. You know, God's made all things. So I shouldn't say ugly, but you know, the, the, this, you know, sometimes people that aren't as attractive, marry people very attractive, but I'm talking about the inside of a person, the heart and the soul of a person. Hey, people in dysfunction, marry people in dysfunction. You may think your dysfunction is worse or better than your spouse, but the truth is you're pretty close on the scale or you wouldn't have been attracted. You find someone that's really strong and doesn't have a lot of issues and not raised in a dysfunctional family at all and have had a very healthy home. They generally will try to look for someone unless they're a rescuer that want to try to help someone up out of a pit. They'll generally find someone close in their scale, their range of where they are. So I always tell a couple to look at each other and I say, congratulate them that they're just as screwed up as you are. I know that sounds funny, but it's true what I find. And so many times I've found people, women and men alike, to say, well, I'm not here for me. I'm here for them. You know, that's the first, that's another red flag. You know, you don't think you're messed up. You don't think you have problems. Sure, they may have a problem. Nabal had a problem of alcohol. He was an alcoholic. He needed to get right with God. He really needed to get off that old alcohol. But how much better do you think it helped when his wife's calling him a worthless piece of garbage? You're just garbage. Hey, there's nobody that's a piece of garbage. God had mercy on all of us. We all are in due need of mercy. You know, even if we have an addiction or a problem, we're in due need of mercy. You know, I thank God when I was 29 years old, when I got saved and I was an alcoholic, this I didn't go into a church and my, you know, someone called me worthless. You know, you're just worthless. I don't think. And then, you know what it says in First Samuel chapter 25, verse 37? It says, when she came back, when all the wine was gone out of Nabal, you know, Abigail came back, the one that had went out to David and rescued him, his own wife, and told him what had happened. And he, you know, he basically recovered from being drunk. And she went out and rescued him and come back and told him what had happened. And the Bible says this, his heart died within him and he became a stone. The next verse, it says he died. But the point is, his heart died within him. God help us that we aren't such a rescuer that when someone doesn't meet our meet our needs or meet our, our perimeter of what we think they should be like. Now, it doesn't say she encouraged him nor discouraged, but it doesn't say she encouraged him in the Lord. She encouraged him in prayer. She encouraged him in those things. It just said that she was controlling and that she did things hastily. She did things secretly, and she, she called him dirty words. I mean, she, what she was doing to him was no better than his drunkenness. 
That's what I try to tell people. I say, you know, you may look better on the outside than some person's addiction, but you're in the relationship. And you know what? You have, you have skeletons in your closet too. We all got skeletons. Yours might be pride. Yours might be, that's why you're so critical controlling because you want to be so prideful and you're self-righteous thinking, look how holy I am. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. He settled that at the foot of the cross and said, no one. He declared it that no one's righteous, but when we accept him by faith, we're all made righteous, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness. So we know that according to scripture, that we can agree that we are none righteous. And I see people all the time that think their spouse needs all the help. And if you're in that kind of relationship, you're in bad trouble. And by the way, if you think everyone else in the church needs help and they need the sermon, but you don't, you're in bad trouble because honey, sir, you might be the one with the bigger problem. And that's what I think we need to look at in Abigail's life. I think we need to look at and be careful that we're not like Abigail going out trying to rescue people. We need to let people suffer their consequences, but at the same time, build them up. We need to try to build them up. Now, if we're helping people through the Spirit of God, God can be calling us to do that, but make sure we're not doing that in our flesh, just trying to make ourselves feel good. And you know how we'll know there's a big red flag we're trying to do that? is because if we go out trying to help people in our own strength, in our own flesh, and they don't actually turn to God then we'll be frustrated, we'll be upset with them, and we'll start demeaning them, we'll start talking bad about them. No, when we go in the Spirit of God to help people, we give of our resources, we give of our time, we give of our money, whatever we do, and we do that, and whenever they make a bad decision, we're free because we're not God. We're free. We just do what God tells us to do. We do it how he asks us to do it. We only help, we help the people that God wants us to help, and then when they make a bad decision, we still love them, show them mercy, show them grace. We encourage them in the Lord and say, brother, sister, you've fallen, you've made a mistake, but you know what? A righteous man falls seven times and rises again, and we don't throw them away or begin to curse at them or think bad of them when they make a mistake. Because, friend, we all make mistakes. And what's the one greatest law that we have in the kingdom of God is love. Love's a universal rule that trumps every other law. The greatest thing is we need to love people. We need to have mercy on people. That's what Jesus did for us. He showed us mercy. He showed us grace. So if you're married to someone that's not quite hitting the mark or even has an addiction in their life, remember this. We need to show them mercy and grace. And then the Bible says a woman sanctified the man, the man sanctified the woman in a marriage. Because if you're consecrated to God, even if your spouse is an unbeliever, you can pray for them. You can seek God for them. You can encourage them in the Lord and you can build them up, not tear them down. And I believe that same grace and mercy that change me for salvation can change your spouse. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. Until next time, God bless.